I'm Martin Wilson, and this is The Next Turn, powered by ProTurn.io. The Next Turn is the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. So thank you for joining us in the pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Tommy Ford. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's great to have you back here. As always, it is great to have Jeff Vibert and Kara Williams by my side. We've all been busy. Jeff, you're out in Colorado right now. How are you, man? I'm great, buddy. Just getting ready to go ski some fresh pow here in Colorado, but super jealous. How did you guys make out in Killington and Lake Louise? It looked like you had some amazing access to athletes and uh, wish I was there with you guys. Kara was on the ground in Lake Louise crushing it. Speaking of crushing it, Michaela, better watch out. I think you may have a bit of a crush on Kelda. But, but Kara, how was Lake Louise? It was great. No crush, no crush. But he is one of the nicest guys on the tour. I could not believe um, how open and welcoming he was in, with his time. And, and he took several minutes to talk to me on both of uh, the race days. Yeah, it was great. Uh, the access to the athletes was amazing. Really impressed with the uh, Americans. I didn't see Tommy Ford there, obviously, because he's not a speed guy. But um, the... Uh, the guys that were there, Travis Kanong, um, I met him. I met um, a few of the other guys that we'd interviewed in the past and just like, just super nice guys, chill and in the game. And I loved it. You guys got two out of three there at Lake Louise. Not all three races got off. Um, Odermott delivered a little bit there too, huh? It was a bit of a back and forth between Odermott and Kilday. One, two, two, one. Um, and I got to talk to both of them about that rivalry. So if you want to check those out, they're on our Instagram stories. Yeah, Kara's in charge of Instagram now, so watch out. <laughs> I got the <laughs> I got the keys for the weekend, as you say, Martin. Yeah, well, uh, you, you you don't have to give them back. Killington was <laughs> Killington was incredible. The first the crowd in Killington, it what a great venue, like packed to the gills every day. You know, Michaela didn't have the best weekend. She may not have delivered on the hill, but she is at her best when she doesn't ski her best. She was incredible and, and gracious and so thoughtful um, in the finish area. Incredible. We'll get to that at another time. But it was great to catch up with all the athletes we've spoken to, and we've got a bunch more athletes lined up. Um, and Kara uh, and Jeff, we have fans. We have fans. People came up and said, hey, are you with the next turn? It was pretty incredible. So that was a lot of fun. But anyways, <laughs> this week we have a great conversation with American legend Tommy Ford. Really, really great conversation. I'm, I, I'm not quite over it yet. Jeff, you were on that conversation, but why don't you give some hard facts on Tommy Ford? Tommy Ford is a U.S. ski racer born March 20th, 1989 in Hanover, New Hampshire. Raised in Bend, Oregon, born to ski racing parents and coaches, he grew up skiing at Mount Bachelor. He made his World Cup debut in 2009. He has represented the U.S., in three Winter Olympics and four World Championships. He is a GS specialist and in 12 seasons on the World Cup has 15 top 10s, three podiums with a win at Beaver Creek in 2019. After a great season in 2020, he suffered season-ending injuries after a devastating crash in the GS at Adelboden. He returned from injury, finishing 12th the GS in the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. After a strong showing last month in Solden, he is back and ready to make some noise this season. I like those hard facts, Jeff. Kara, why don't you fill in the color there a little bit, fill in the gaps of those hard facts. What's the story here? 
Well, if you've been following Tommy's career, it has been a series of highs and lows. As Jeff said, he fractured his femur in 2013, which caused him to miss nearly two full seasons of the World Cup, as well as the Sochi Olympics. But he fought his way back from injury. And during the 16-17 season, he had five top 20 finishes. So the story here is definitely about his ascent as much as his injuries. Over the next few seasons, he cracked the top 10, then the top five. He finished fourth at the 2019-20 season opener in Solden. And that's the race that seemed to flip the switch for Tommy. He went on to win his first World Cup a few weeks later at home in Beaver Creek. And by the start of the next season, he'd earned a career best world ranking of fifth when, in a cruel twist of fate, had a truly horrific crash in Adelboden. He suffered a concussion, broke his tibia, and tore most of his knee ligaments. And after some extensive rehab, he launched another comeback, finishing 12th at the Beijing Olympics. At 33 years of age, Tommy Ford is looking ahead to this season. He's feeling good. He had an incredible first race at Solden a few weeks ago with a sixth place finish. And if you haven't looked into the results from that race, Google it. Tommy's second run was lightning fast. In fact, it was the fastest of the entire field. He's a veteran on the U.S. team and a serious contender looking ahead to Beaver Creek in a couple weeks. Here we go. Tommy Ford. You've got the hard facts. You've got the story from Kara. Now is our conversation with Tommy Ford here on the next turn. My first impression of Sultan was it was it was a great experience just to be able to release and ski like I know how and like know that I can still do that because I've been I'm always finding the balance between uh performance and knee comfort <laughs> this past year and it's been getting better and better and this that was a really good sign for me that it was it's working um and always feels good to sit in that chair I was not expected to sit in that chair for that long I had a I thought a pretty good run. I knew there were some mistakes in there, but, uh, and like, you know, Trevor Phillip had a pretty fast run. So I was like, just barely in front of those guys. But then we both, we all stayed there for <laughs> the rest of the time. So it was a pleasant surprise. How hard is it to control where your mind goes while you're sitting in that chair? <laughs> like I got to, th- I got to think, especially for you, um, after the couple of years that you've had being banged up and now you're, you know, you're in the start gate, new season, body's sort of checking out a little bit better than it has been. And, and you're in there and you're sitting in there going, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. I don't get too set into the, the, what it means. Um, it gets like, it's easy to go in a direction of like, Oh, what could this end up with like result wise? Um, and I don't know. That was for me, it wasn't too hard this time just to be like grateful to just be there and like exciting to see all the racers and, um, continuing. And I was, I continue to just stay present throughout. And that's, that's, that takes effort there. Um, but that's not unique to just the chair. <laughs> it takes effort all the time in some <laughs> capacity. And, um, yeah, it, your mind, it is typical for your mind to wander on that chair, but it was a little different this time. It's just grateful to be there. I think the last few years of your career, your life are fascinating with what you had going into your injury, the gap in your injury, and then, you know, the comeback uh, last year at the Olympics. I guess I, I'd start with what is the status of your body? How are you feeling? <laughs> like, how's the body? What are you dealing with? With my body at the moment, it's really feeling great. Like I can, 
do pretty much anything in full range, uh, knee mobility and strengths coming on pretty strong. Uh, whole systems fire and paired Lundstrom help us, helped us get strong this summer. I spent the summer in park city with river and as, uh, Bridger Kyle and, um, Kyle and jet Seymour, Kyle Nagamir. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we had a great, great team there that was pushing each other and my back's been feeling great and hip is holding up. I guess all these little pieces I always had to do a little warm up for to make sure it's firing. Um, but just kind of honing in that routine and making it a ritual. You seem stronger and, and more muscular than you have been in years. Is that a conscious effort? Am I wrong with that? Um, what changes have you made to your workout to become that much stronger? Um, I did a lot more bench press than I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely put some bulk on me. Uh, Bridger, Bridger Guy and I were doing the upper body train pretty hard. Like we were doing pull-ups, curls, triceps, all of the above. So that, that helps with like the looks of it and like a little extra <laughs> Uh, mass uh, help go down the hill as pear says it's uh free speed but i think that's kind of mm-hmm. helped tie it in the whole body like there's i often refer to that model the tensegrity model from tom myers he's a physical therapist type person and yeah i mean if you're gonna have strong legs it helps to have strong upper body to to counter the forces that are going on. And I really feel that this year, like my trunk is super stable. I've always had a strong core, but this year, for some reason, it's uh, feeling more connected and um, usable. You used the word connected. Jeff and I were talking and I think it's your greatest ability as a skier is your connectivity to the snow and the way that your core keeps you in place. And it's always very, looks comfortable. How's that? Um, you grew up in, in Mount Hood, Ken Tollerton, kind of a guy. You lose, you, you learn a lot of, a lot of touch, a lot of feel. Do you Mount feel Bachelor. that Mount Bachelor? Oh my God. Jeez. I'll edit that out. See, Jesus Christ. You're a Mount Bachelor boy. You grew up, um, gotta be doing a lot of free ski and stuff. Is, is that where that touch and connection comes from? Do you, do you credit that? I mean, Mount Bachelor's on the east side of the Cascades. So it's a little drier um, than Hood, and it makes for some. It's like it goes from pretty vast expanse of flatness to the volcanoes, so the wind hits it pretty hard, and the wind sculpts the snow, which was previously sculpted by the lava flows that <clears throat> exploded millions of years ago, whenever that was, and so it's just like flowing terrain with flowing snow because of the wind lips and the wind drifts all over the place. So we like, obviously had days off where we couldn't train much and had to go, had to go free ski. Oh, darn. Um, yeah. Had to, huh? <laughs> and it was, it was fun. Cause we, it was like a big, we had pretty long runs, you know, so we could take the chair up. We had these runs through the woods and like knew these natural jumps to get down to training. Like we're wearing like shin guards and shorts in our suit jumping through the woods and doing whoop de doos and go train. And then we'd go hit the park at the bottom and like practice our air position. Like Darren would like put the hands behind the legs and all wearing psalm gear and we'd go big. Like the park used to be big at bachelor. Um, 
and like that definitely helped my like air awareness and uh, terrain ability for speed events. Like I'm pretty comfortable in the air. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'd have quite a bit of soft snow, so you definitely had to learn how to be subtle and like roll up. Cause if you dug in and you just come to a stop almost, it's funny watching Eastern skiers come to soft snow. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, like I let off a little bit, but vice versa getting to ice. It took me a while to figure out true ice. Um, my younger years on the world cup was like racing on injection when they really, they aced it up a lot back then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I struggled. It was, it was tough to trust the skis and trust that it's going to come around. But again, that my mom from Vermont, uh, would always take me to these little ice patches on bachelor. Cause there's spots here and there. I say, like, all right, you got to figure it out. Like show me these little tricks and how to be really light on your feet and just let the skis kind of dance over the ice without pushing too hard. And that's something that's stuck with me throughout. Uh, Jeff's about to tear up hearing you talk like that, Jeff. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. And, and for the rest of the kids out there, they should be taking every opportunity to hit the whoop-de-doos as you describe them in the park and all <laughs> All that fun stuff. So you grew up, you were born in New Hampshire, is that correct? And then moved to Bend? <laughs> well, Martin might uh, understand this. So I, my parents lived in Norwich in Union Village and I was born at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, but we lived in Vermont. So I always have to say I was born in Vermont, but on my passport, yes, I was born in New Hampshire. After six months or so, I was, we moved to Oregon, so. Okay, so grew you up. grew up at Mount Bachelor as a, as a kid. And so when did it, did, did racing come really early to you or when did that yeah, I mean, start? both my parents raced and coached for long periods of their time. Like my dad coached at Dartmouth from throughout the eighties before Pete Dodge was there. And my mom coached at UVM. Um, she grew up racing with the Cochran's and like just was in it and loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Coached uh, at home at bachelor a bit. And my brother raced, he's seven years older than me. So I was just kind of going to races with him and my parents and just, I didn't know any different. And that's what I wanted to do all the time. I, love, I remember dressing up as Herman Meyer for Halloween one year. <laughs> <At school. laughs> I love it. I saw a picture of a Herman Meyer on, on the socials the other day. He looks like he's dressing up as Herman Meyer. Uh, um, yeah, a little different sizes. Yeah. Right. I, talk about your size. You're not a big guy. What like, what are you probably a hundred and I don't know, fighting weight, 80 pounds, maybe. Is that coming across? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Now more? I, gained, I gained some weight this summer and I am about 180, but the last 10 years have been like 170. Um, what is, has you ever thought of that as a disadvantage? A pair said it's just, it's, it's, it's just wasted speed <laughs> if you don't have it. But what are the advantages of being a, a, a smaller guy compared to some of the bigger guys? What are you able to do? Um, well, and what do you need to do? I mean, when I was younger, I was always, I was a little bit smaller than everyone. I was kind of slow to mature and you always get crap for being small. Like, you're like, good luck on the flats and all this. And I was just like, just refused to accept that weight had anything to do with it. Like I, at some point I realized like yeah, physics, like there's some reality there, but on that you can really generate a lot of speed from steep to flat and just like nowhere to push in the turn in the terrain, like skating, like you pump the, the, the half pipe, you got to pump the transition. You get a lot of speed real quick. If you don't know how to flow with that, your speed's wasted there. So that is um, where I've kept my focus and 
all for since I was tiny. And I believe it, it makes me uh, competitive with all in all events with all racers. And I think being a little bit lighter, I think has taught me more about biomechanics because you have to do everything possible to load the ski. Um, and just stepping on it isn't enough. You have to learn what rotating your head does, <laughs> what your shoulders do, what your hips do. Um, cause if you don't load the ski, you don't get energy out of it and you're, you're, um, bleeding speed throughout the course. So, uh, I think that's been a huge thing I've learned from being a smaller guy on the hill, how to use my body. And because I, I've learned how to use my body. I can learn fairly quick. Cause like, okay, I can just change this movement. Um, sometimes it's challenging, like downhill is challenging for me because it's pretty simple in a lot of ways, but it's like, all right, change this. I'm like, okay, I changed it. <laughs> it's like, I gotta be a little more fluid like you know, to get stuck in being a little robotic in downhill. I'll get into the speed elements of your career coming up, but can you nerd out a little bit on your, your scheme and some of your cues? Absolutely. Sort of your your thoughts. Um, this a forest inspired question. <laughs> well, I may have gone around with this. Like I may have asked him, but yes, it's a forest inspired question. It's a topic I covered with him because I, I I believe in simplicity for each person. You need a couple things: a mental cue, a tactical cue, uh, a technical cue. Um, can you talk about what some of your cues are now? Like, what are you saying to yourself? In training, what are you saying to yourself on race day over the last couple of months? I think with cues, it's important to realize if you really want to learn something new, simplify a cue as much as you can to one at a time. Because if you're trying to think about multiple things throughout a free ski run, let alone a course, it it, it gets lost and you're just not getting the quality out of it. It may, you may be a little slower for a little bit and then you eventually it'll become ingrained, but then you can work on something else. Um, there are times where you can kind of change a couple things between courses. And, but like these days I've, it's pretty basic to one cue for me at a time. Um, and the cues vary. I have like 15 different cues and they all work at different times. Like I can't, it's sometimes just driving my hands. A simple one is kind of useless if my timing isn't quite ready. And that's like one of the last cues um, if I drive my hands in the middle of a turn, it just throws me off completely. But sometimes I get so stuck on like, drive my hands, drive my hands that it, it's like throwing my whole turn off. And I got to take a step back and go to my, like one of my basic cues is weight transfer. Like really have a complete weight transfer, feeling your weight, go up your foot, through your leg, down your hips and into your other leg and foot. The time it takes to do that really sets you up for, for a good turn, puts you in a good spot tactically and then you're loaded and you can do anything you want and you can put full trust in the ski, but to know that you're fully transferred, it, it, it's tough to know when you're actually fully transferred. It, it, people can, you can kind of cheat it sometimes and it feels like it, but to slow things down, it, it really, you'll know when you don't. <laughs> uh, uh, how do you go about establishing those cues? You say you had, a dozen, 15 or so of them that you keep in your pocket. How do you, is it a conversation that you just have with yourself and go, I need this cue today. I feel like I need that. Or is it with the, with, with Ian that you're, you're saying, Hey, what do you think? What do I think? How, how do you establish your 
your training day plan or your race day plan? We, when we watch video or, we, or Ian and I are talking about what's happening on the hill or I feel something like if I'm losing my outside ski at the bottom of the turn, every turn, it's like, okay, like something's wrong there. I got to figure something out. Like what, what's going on? Am I moving off the snow, to, off the ski too soon? Am I rotating away from the ski? Um, so Ian and I are talking about that. I, I usually come to him with some frustration, like this just keeps happening. What the heck? And he's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, what's, what's going on? Or he comes to me with something with that. And it just, it's a discussion. Um, then it's like, oh yeah, it's like, you're, you're moving off it a little soon. So I just stick with the ski a little longer. So I can just like, for me, it's like finish the turn, like that simple term. It's like, I know what that means physically. Um, it's, I say it to other teammates sometimes and they're like, huh? It's like, then they start hooking a little too much and it's not hooking. It's like a strong, strong finish, right? Like complete the turn and then move on to the next, but it's not like a extra turn to it. Mm-hmm. That's just an example of, discovering cues how, how much video do you watch and what video do you watch is it all you is it you and a, a, a couple teammates that you know how you line up with every day is it uh, how do you utilize video uh depends like video i watch most days i'd watch video and when i watch it it's, i watch like just watch it straight through regular speed um maybe second time through half speed um, if I'm skiing pretty well, I don't take stop too long on anything. Um, and I usually watch the faster skier of the day, like once or twice and then stop. It's a pretty quick session. Um, if I am feeling something or curious about something or have an idea, I really slow down and usually look at like one really good turn and watch what's, what's happening in that turn. And then I watch the turn I keep struggling with. And again, just analyze what's kind of happening there and slow-mo, like super slow. Like in one turn, I just kind of watch it over and over again, like watch different body parts, different things, uh, compared to some other racers sometimes do side-by-side if I can. And I do that maybe like once a month max, like not, not often. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of minimal use, but I do use it. What other things are you using to help learn? Uh, are are you tracking? Is there journaling? Like I'm sure Ian's got every turn and how long each run you've had. He's got all that information. Do you use that information? Do you combine it with how you're feeling and what you're thinking? Do you put all that together? Yeah. I mean, let me use, I I reflect on run, like how many runs I've taken just to see how my knees feeling based off those runs, um, my energy levels. I, these days I take less runs, especially in race season, mm-hmm. four runs in a day. Um, and after a lot of runs, I, I haven't been doing it as much this season, but uh, I've done a lot of note taking after a run, um, just quick jot down a couple things that I know that I was either just thinking about like randomly in the course, just like highlighting that, like, okay, you're thinking about lunch today. Like, why do you think about lunch? Just, <laughs> just note some mental things that are happening. And then a couple things that are going well in the skiing, a couple things I could change in skiing, like one thing of each of those per run. Mm-hmm. And then I give myself a cue like that I've had through the years. And um, before I do that, I usually try to scribble a little sketch before I start actually taking the notes. Cause right after a run, I get pretty 
it's like hard to not just be like emotional and like, ah, like that was bad or that was really good. And just like try to get that out in a little sketch and then actually reflect on it with some uh, clarity. That is incredibly interesting. You're going to have to talk me through that and unpack that. Where did that, like you are an artist, you're right. Incredible. Seen some of your stuff. It's great. Did you learn that you had to, how did you come about going first before I got, before I process this, I just got to draw for a minute. And like, how does that come about? What's the, what's the thinking behind that? And what does it do for you? Uh, I'm, I've been doing it for a while now. I'm trying to think of where it came from. It probably came from when I was at school um, at Dartmouth. I had been studying, I studied art and did painting and sculpture. And so it was just kind of an outlet for me when I, especially when I was injured, uh, mm-hmm. it was like with frustrations, I could just like scribble on a piece of paper and get stuff out. Um, rather than like for a little, little while, it's like depending on movement for outlets, you know, it's like I'd go skate and I like, skate too hard, and, like crash or like go ski too hard and like throw myself through the gate. It's like a little bit of a self-destruction there. And I realized like, that's not sustainable. Like I have a broken leg now. Like I can't do that. <laughs> um, I need to get this stuff out somehow. So scribbling was a way to, to do that. And um, it's like, Oh, and then it allowed me to like actually go throughout my day a little more uh, stable. So it just kind of carried into skiing. It's like, okay, well every run, it's like, it's hard not to have an emotional reaction, which is totally natural and just let that emotion out. And then, uh, think have a little clearer thinking after that you've been with ian for a while right as your coach yeah yeah since I, 15 i can imagine that that's pretty useful that with a with a guy like you is a little unorthodox perhaps can i say that am i sure. wrong to say that i don't think I, that's unfair or dishonest or even bad um sure how useful is it that he understands how you work and what you need and what do you, I need to give Tommy five minutes to, to chill out, draw a picture, like do a sketch, write down his notes before I engage with him. I mean, it's extremely valuable to have a coach like that. Like he, he's been with me for a long time, seen me go through some ups and downs and like, he realizes what helps me help stabilize me. And like, whether it's on the hill or off the hill. So he, um, he just knows knows that and um yeah like after a run it just helps with keeping the conversation going just like he knows okay i'll give him like a couple more seconds more <coughs> excuse me a couple seconds more to clear his mind and then we can actually have a conversation about it rather than just coming in and being like do this do this or like what like what happened or it's like i haven't I, I don't know i haven't even like gone through it in my head yet it takes a second <laughs> So that, that builds frustration if I have to like have those conversations right away. And my teammates like sometimes ask me stuff right away. I'm like, ah, not yet. <laughs> and like, we've gotten, you've gotten, they, they know. And we have a conversation about it now. But for what, a while, what, what role did Ian play in you figuring out that part of you? That's how you need to work. Or did you do all that self-discovery yourself and, and, and start implementing it into your ski day training day i think it's just through conversations like he when we're in the middle of the season we've had some tough times just like we've been away from home for a long time and 
skiing has been pretty bad. Like I'm skiing bad or like the weather's been bad. It's hard to do. And I'm just sitting there. It's like, ah, I got to talk. As I start talking, it's like spewing things and out of frustration. Like, then I like, then we have these conversations and like, oh, like these things are actually helping us, him and me. And it's like, we just said working. We just learn how to work together and have a sustainable friendship throughout. <laughs> I love that. Coaches all agree that video analysis is one of the best ways to improve performance. But imagine if we could make it even better. Proturn.io lets you take your video analysis to the next level by overlaying speed, acceleration, and turn data into your videos. This enhanced video analysis helps athletes of all levels understand the impact of their tactics and techniques on their speed and time. Start elevating your training. Visit Proturn.io slash the next turn and get 10% off your Proturn pack. Proturn.io. Train smarter, improve faster. And now back to our conversation with Tommy Ford. Um, well, just going back to what you were talking about with the earlier success, like it, those first like four years in the World Cup was a, a quick transition from racing Norams to full-time World Cup. Uh, that happened in one season and the racing with older guys and I was younger. And we had like, that truth in motion video come out sometime 2010 yeah. to the Olympics. I was like nervous wreck at the Olympics. And it's just, it was a lot all that time. And I had some good results here and there, but I think I was kind of struggling mentally just to be comfortable. <laughs> um, and that's kind of like after I broke my leg, I was reflecting on all those years and then I kind of see my uh, broken leg as a culmination of those years. It's like I've been pushing and like I had to like express all these frustrations through skiing. I didn't have any other way to do it at the time. And I'd free ski hard and fast, <laughs> jumping over stuff I didn't know was on the other side and ended up breaking the femur. Um, and so after that, it was, I mean, it took a while to really know if I wanted to come back to skiing. Um, at first it was just like pain and like trying to figure out how to walk again. And it's like, okay, what do I want to do here? It's like, I know I want to ski in some form. I want to ski, be able to ski and be healthy. So I was definitely doing the rehab and I was getting strong or doing the rehab. But I couldn't get strong for a while because I had to get the rod taken out of my leg um, 11 months after, which was a little soon for some doctors. Um, I was healed enough, just not quite ready to ski right away. And I, at that point I was going to school at Dartmouth. So I couldn't, I wasn't going to, I wasn't planning on skiing for a whole other season. So this would be two seasons where I'd missed. And I just put all my effort into school and um, figuring out what I want to do. And by the time I was about a quarter way through school that year, I'd say, okay, I want to race. I want, I want to do this and started getting stronger and stronger. And um, luckily our, our head coach at the time, Sasha Rierick had, uh, was having conversations with me and he knew that I was going through these processes of figuring out what I want to do and say, okay, I, yeah, like we made that decision. Like I want to do this. And he, we put together a plan um, of how, like basically goals of like how to come back and how to, how to approach this in a way that was sustainable um, for me and the team because they just can't support you forever. Um, 
And so we were able to make that plan, which was just like gradually work back into the World Cup, like give myself a year to maybe get some top 30s and another year to start breaking into the top 15. And like I had more lofty goals that um, they like to see, as the team like to see. And I got excited. It's like natural. I wanted to, that's the, these are goals I've been wanting to do forever. So, if if that was the pathway through and from the first injury, I kind of think that when, like again in two thousand twenty, you know you got a hell of a year going, right? Things are after your, the last injury. You do your homework for a bunch of years. You do the grind. You start making your way up. You're just I don't know. It seemed like you were coming on top of your game 2020 and then you yeah, get kicked in the ass right? first world cup win the podiums are coming you know what i mean you're in there like it was incredible and then you you have this next injury i gotta think you were like what the fuck like if you were thinking about it the first time going do i really want to do this what was your thought process this latest injury as like even crueler because you were right at the top of your game. I mean, that first month or two was just full of pain and discomfort. It was really hard to, to think about much else. Um, and I, like the memories of that time are tough too. Uh, I guess I don't remember that well. I'm sure there were some, some of those thoughts at some point, but pretty quickly I was like, I want to get back. Like, I want to do this. Like there's no hesitation there. Uh, maybe for like that first month or something, but I, I don't remember that well. Uh, yeah. That says like, something itself, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you set out this long term plan to, to recover physically and to recover results wise and get your start number back and your points and just feel where you need to go. Can you give us the highlights of, of the process of, getting your head back in it you, you know you said from the fog of the, the the injury and then you from the pain and then to the planning stages but how do you get your mind ready to go like to get back in it what are the what are the stages what are the things you have to take care of mentally before you go along the way i've been working with a mental coach since i don't know at least five years now i think it's been like six or seven years his name is Bernard Payet. He lives in Salzburg, Austria. And the way we work, it, it goes for things. Like it works in ways that are beyond ski racing. Um, and he was working with me from day one of that injury um, throughout the process. Uh, and he basically was just reminding me to, to stick with what we've been doing because what we've been doing doesn't only aid in ski performance, but also it optimizes healing and just, yeah. And it's learning to trust that was going to help the pro help me heal as well as ski. Uh, it's just been kind of a seamless process re regardless of injury. Like I've been, it's like, I've, I've, some people have been saying like, you've been welcome back kind of thing. And I do feel like it's, I've been away, but at the same time, it's like, it's not anything. I was like, I don't feel like I went anywhere. Um, I've been working the whole day. It doesn't mean that it was easy. I was still struggling like mentally to get back. Like I was going through bouts of depression because like, I couldn't work out. I couldn't like, get the chemicals flowing through workouts and like couldn't do what I knew how to do. 
um, sitting on the couch a lot and that was part of it. And yeah, just but it stayed consistent with that mental process and was able to work my back way back to racing. It's really great. Jeff. I got to think some of your mental, when you think back, you got to think about Beaver Creek and how awesome that was. Can you, can you talk about that and, and the winning at home and how, like the, did you hear the crowd? Because yeah. the crowd is so loud when you watch that race. Yeah. I mean, that race is something I'll never forget for sure. Um, I like just, my scheme was really good and on point, but the crowd was incredible from the moment I came through the first run finish line. It was just electric and you could, they were loud, but then once I was like going through interviews, you could just hear them and feel them right there. And, and in the lodge, you could still kind of hear them trying to calm down and eat some food and relax a little bit, going through inspection. And um, at the start of the second run, you could just hear it pumping from just standing in the start. And uh, I was feeding off that uh, to stay calm because I had to ski still. Um, so it was, a, it was a give and take relationship there. And it was pretty, like I said, electric. What did you learn that day? What did you learn from the win that you didn't know before? That I don't need to do anything special. Um, it's just trusting my skiing and really trusting the, the unknown. God, good answers. I, you seem like a very, I don't know, this is where I can get in trouble sometimes. You're very cerebral. <laughs> you're, you're very cerebral, but you're very spiritual, metaphysical. Is that something that you give time to, give thought to? I mean, I think a lot <laughs> and I, I overthink things and that's been a habit and mindfulness has been a balance to thinking. Um, it, it allows me to take a rest basically. Um, and that's just one word mindfulness for many ways of approaching mental, uh, awareness and yeah, it's a vital part of my life. I love it. Jeff and I were speaking earlier in the evolution of ski racers as the prototype. And you actually mentioned Herman Meyer earlier. You were heading for Halloween. I can't think of anybody like you're the antithesis of Herman Meyer in the start game. Right. How? And I think that's really interesting. You see, in his heyday, everybody was like that. And then Bodhi came along and became a little bit of a Zen master you seem like you are a Zen master. If I was your coach, probably in the start, I'd be like, hey, hey, Tommy, I, you probably know, but you got to go in a couple minutes, huh? Like that kind of <laughs> calmness. Have you always been that calm in the start or is that part of the routine that you figured out that that's how you need to perform? Um, I've gone through all different phases in the start, trying to hype myself up, hyperventilate and get lightheaded <laughs> before going and all these things. And, um, after a while I just took example from like making art. Like I really prepare with the calm mind to make something and somehow that something appears and it's like turns into what we call art and say, like, okay, well might as well try that with skiing. I mean, I pick things up from all different areas, like with inspection, I remember hearing something, 
along the lines of like, whenever we look at something or refer to something in the past with our memory, it, we change, change that memory every time. Um, so when I inspect, I, I do pretty quick inspection, just quick, take a quick look at it, see everything. And it's like taking a run down it already. And, um, and then I don't reflect on it too much. I do some imagery on certain parts here and there, but other than that, it's like very minimal reflection on the, on the inspection. And that, that opens up a lot of creativity and, and trust in, in yourself and the unknown for what, what could become a race run. So Zen like, so Zen like, I love it. I want to switch gears. If you don't mind, can we talk about your equipment? Are you somebody that you seem to fiddle with a lot of things to find the right formula? How much do you fiddle with equipment? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to try all sorts of things regardless of what it is, equipment, philosophies, whatever. It's like try things, then work, move on, take something from it. Um, equipment kind of, I've done, I've tried lots of different things just to learn like what it does, like, what does canting out do? Okay. That's aggressive. What does canting in do? That's not uh, very reactive and find that balance in between where you can like really have a, a knee position. That's super strong through bumps. Um, if you lift the toe up, you, uh, the turns are feel pretty good, but you're maybe digging in too much and you lose speed there. If your toes down, it's like, it feels like the course is coming at you a little bit, but you're probably a little faster to finding that, that balance there. And, yeah, I've just experimented with a lot of things. And these days it's been, it's pretty simple. Like I just like, okay, well, if something's happening in my equipment that isn't quite right, I try something very specific. Okay. Like I'm not getting enough, uh, feel at the top of the turn, like not enough return, um, from the edge. Like I'm going to add a little bit of, like, like maybe change a binding situation up or I don't, I don't mess with my canting mid season that, mm-hmm. that I believe will, you can adapt to that. Like we're athletes. It's like, you don't need to have the perfect setup for every condition. It's like adapt to the condition a bit. Um, but we're testing skis almost every day. And Daniel's trying things. My technician is changing, always trying something. So what about your actual boots? Can you talk about your boots? Do you have a GS or super G boot? Do you have different boots for different events? What's the difference between them? At this point, I'm using one boot for GS super G downhill. Um, I could probably use a different boot in downhill, but I haven't skied enough downhill to test enough. I need to get my skiing more solid. That's the key with testing. You have to have consistent skiing, um, solid, consistent skiing. And then you can throw in some variables here and there. I try to throw in one variable at a time. Like, again, testing side cut. And I'm only going to change the models of skis like between one side cut and another. And that's it. Um, so all my, he was pretty much the same boot. I don't, like I said, I don't use, um, ski When's much the last slalom? time you were in slalom gates? Come on. When was the last time you skied slalom? August. New Zealand. I Trained five days. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I go. Pretty good. It was rough at first, but it started to get, get some, some memory back. Are you going to add, when you look at this season, some people, as they get older in their career, they narrow down their focus to an event. I see you as somebody that might be a late bloomer, <laughs> thirty like he's gonna go 
mid thirties, late thirties into their career and keep getting better and possibly open up speed. You had a speed background before you've always had some pretty good stuff going on there. Rumor has it. You may have won a couple of training runs this week. There's stories going on from coffee. You were skiing pretty fast. What, what's the deal with speed in your future? Uh, I mean, I, I raced downhill in Super G when I was younger. I've raced multiple World Cups. was top 15 or top 30 mm-hmm. for a while. I had a couple of top 15s in Super G. Downhill, I raced a couple of World Cup downhills as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think our strategy was to specialize, uh, to break into the World Cups. You had a little more stability. And that's and I was good at GS. That's what we did. Super G is one of my favorite events. It flows super well with the terrain and it's like, it's one of the most natural events in a way because you're just skiing the train. Whereas downhill is like kind of forcing the, the fall line, <laughs> and GS is yeah. forcing the rhythm. Like you get this is more fun, like turning over the bumps and all that. Love that. This um, is what I was saying the other day, Jeff. Like the the combination between the GS Super G skiers, the most natural, the purest. Like God, it's fun to watch you guys go. <laughs> like it's so natural, isn't it? I was talking with Sam Morris the other day, and he's like, man, you're fast and super G. You're like, what's going on downhill? It's like, downhill doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, or it's just really hard because there's always moving parts. You can change things so easily. Or super G is just like the same as GS pretty much, but I'm just going to space it out and get a little better tuck. <laughs> uh, uh, are those speed races on your calendar, or are you waiting until you get GS points so you get the right start number? Um um, there's all sorts of moving parts with it. There's only a certain amount of spots. You have to have certain rankings too that help you get certain spots, start spots. Um, but I'm planning to race Beaver Creek Super G and we'll see what goes from there. It's hard to say, but I'm lobbying for my, my start spots in Super G. I love it. I love it. Um, talk about the rest of the year coming up. How do you... How do you go about measuring success? Does your previous injury even factor in anymore? Or is that totally just something in the past as far as what you think you can accomplish? What are, I I ask this of everyone, what are your goals for this season? But more importantly, how do you go about establishing them and using them? I mean, I'm not going to limit myself because of injuries. Uh, I'm going to feel good and I'm going to, my goal setting process is based off of my like based off of my internal self. Um, just try to stay connected throughout the season, enjoy myself, um, just feel the snow every day, enjoy it. And I know fast skiing comes from, from that when I'm doing that. Well, I wish you most happiness then because it's fun to watch you go fast. A um, couple more questions be- before we l- let you go. You're sort of th- that multi-generational skier on the U.S. ski team. You you were around with some of the older guys before before you, and now you're one of the older guys with a bunch of the younger guys. What do you see your role is as a the elder statement, a statesman of I guess the GS squad, at least for sure. I mean, I've been, I feel like I've turned into a 24 year old again, because I've been hanging out with a bunch of 24 year olds. Past you haven't years. dyed your hair yet. You haven't dyed your hair yet. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't intentionally do a whole lot different. I mean, there are times where I'm like, what are you doing? Like you gotta eat breakfast or something. I mean, they're eating breakfast. They're all pretty good. Like they're all on it. And, um, I always, always have some unsolicited advice of some sort. And sometimes it's appreciated. Sometimes it's like, whatever. (laughs) So it's, I don't know. We keep it pretty fun and and we've really been working on um, coming together as a team this summer. And I think our GS squad is really doing a great job with that. And we're all super inclusive. So we have Bridger Guile at River Dynamis and Isaiah Nelson's with us most of the time. And yeah, we're always feeding off each other. And it's like somewhere I'm looking forward to coming back to after a rough training session because they don't care. It's like, I mean, they they care. They want to see us ski well, but it's, it's all, part of the process process. And we all understand that. That's really great. Um, I gotta be honest. I find you incredibly interesting. <laughs> like I, I was say, talking to Forrest yesterday, like I said, I said, I, I feel like you're somebody that more Americans should know more about, but you've sort of stayed under the radar for a few years, even with your wins. Um, do you feel that you're under the radar? It's an odd question, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Is I don't I don't seek attention. <laughs> um, and you're not asking the question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not a big TikTok personality, are you? Well, I did just do a uh, poll at this autograph signing the other day, and ninety five percent of the answers were like, "Yeah, I got to start TikTok." So you might see me on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, help us all! I love it. Um, I just love how pure you are and, and how wholesome you are. Like, and so like the Zenness, I, I, it's, it's something that I feel is really important, just mental health and mental wellness. And we talk a lot about a holistic growth and holistic wellness in young athletes along the way. I don't think we do a great job and it's nice to hear somebody in your position to speak of the importance of that. Like just being a normal, healthy functioning human is huge huh it's huge i mean you were talking about something to do with skiing and how i look comfortable i think that's a a decent way of explaining mental health too it's like with skiing like if you're in a like i was forcing my tuck before and i was not comfortable with my tuck it's like my hip would kind of hurt and like just didn't feel right i was like kind of straining and flexing a lot like okay i'm gonna like start over, like start with a stand position, come back and do like more relaxed, like comfortable tuck. And I could move a lot easier. I could absorb things and like turn easier, even though it wasn't quite as aero. I can, I'm still working on my aerodynamics, but that, that was a lot of comfort for me. And if you're like having to strain constantly mentally, there's going to be moments that you got to work and it's going to be hard. But it's like, if you're having to strain constantly mentally, it's like, look at what's happening around you. Look at um, something you can change. If you, if there's something, if you can't figure it out, ask for help, like talk to someone. It doesn't matter if it's your friend, your parents, your neighbor, your coaches, like start talking about it. And then everyone's got good. Like we all go through different things. Like we're all human here. It's like, everyone's got ideas and different ways of approaching. And it's like, maybe that neighbor has something that like will click for you. So it's not worth keeping it in. Um, and, yeah. I mean, you're going to be uncomfortable with workouts and like, you're going to be, you're going to get really tired, but if you're getting like nagging pain, it's like maybe stop and like get that checked out. 
I, I, I really appreciate that attitude. And it's a big chunk of why we started this podcast because we believe that message is so important and it is way more valuable and powerful coming from a guy like Tommy Ford than it is coming from a guy like Jeff or Martin. So I appreciate that a ton. I appreciate the questions. It's a nice conversation. Thanks. Well, thank you, man. I'm going to write that down. I might leave that part in. Welcome back. Thanks so much to Tommy Ford for an incredible conversation and some openness and some really powerful insight. Thank you so much. It is now time for our Swix Thoughts of the Day. And before we share ours, as always, I'd like you to share yours with us at externpodcast.com. Saying all that, Jeff, what are you thinking? What are your Swix Thoughts of the Day? Well, Martin, it was great to catch up with Tommy and uh, at his training in Copper and nice of him to take some time uh, off the slopes to chat with us. Uh, you know, he's an interesting cat, as uh, as you'll find out listening to this story. But 12 seasons on the World Cup with two significant setbacks due to injury. I love his perseverance and his determination. And here we have another late bloomer, a la Dave Riding. Uh, you know, who knows how long he's going to stay in there. And, 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 you know, we, there's a lot to look forward to with Tommy Ford uh, in the future. We, we think his touch on snow is amazing, which we talked about. And uh, like I said, his skiing looks and seems effortless. Perhaps his skiing is a translation of his art. He's creative and he does things his own way. I love that, Jeff. I think you're spot on. Kara, what are you thinking? What are your Swix thoughts of the day? Well, Martin, my Swix thoughts of the day aren't nearly as dramatic as Jeff's are, but uh, <laughs> Tommy, listen, Tommy comes from a family of skiers and, and both his parents raced and were ski coaches. So I'm thinking that perhaps he knew what he was getting into with the highs and lows and risks and rewards of this sport. Um, listening to him speak, I was struck with the patience that he must have had to commit to his comeback plan, uh, both comeback plans. If you've been in the sport a while, it's inevitable. You will experience an injury and it takes a certain type of person to hold the course, especially after missing nearly two seasons like Tommy did. And keep in mind, he was 23, 24 years old when he was first sidelined with that fractured femur. Uh, for Tommy, he never lost the I am a ski racer mindset. Even when he was riding the couch and watching the World Cup on TV, like the rest of us, he understood that where his job used to be to push out of the start gate and ski as fast as possible, he was able to shift his mindset to, I'm still a ski racer, but for now, I'm a rehabber. And as he says, it wasn't difficult to do because he figured out that the mental process remains the same. And in listening to him speak, he wasn't only working on healing his body, obviously. When he was working on his mental game, it's pretty clear that he now has a heightened approach to mindfulness. And after this interview and his performance at the World Cup opener in Solden, I think Tommy's days are, his best days are yet to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Kara. For me, my thoughts sort of, lie in a couple ways and speaking of dramatic this might get a little dramatic for you Kara but I'm really I was really taken of his journey to to understand his learning process and and himself and, and his wiring um and how specific that is to him it takes a lot of courage and a, and a lot of effort to 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 really figure out how you're wired so kudos to him I was really I had a I had a reaction as a as a coach listening to him because I don't know 
how many coaches would do a great job dealing with, with somebody as unique as Tommy, especially at the younger ages. Um, I know my experience as uh, an athlete and my time as a coach, we don't do a great job in this sport of meeting kids where they're at. And we, we, we tend to push them into a prototype, into a mold. And we wonder why we lose a lot of kids at different ages along the pathway. I think that might have something to do with it. So I hear this and I challenge myself to do a better job as a coach, to, to understand the athletes. It's not about what I know. It's about how I can help and assist. That's important to me. So I, I take a lot of ownership in this one and hear it. And I, I take on that challenge to do a better job and realize that athletes not only come in different shapes and sizes, but different wiring and in di- different instruction manuals. And it is our job as coaches to figure that out. That's really powerful. And one more time, we're talking about mental health. Um, really important. It is vital. Tommy talks about how I loved how he used the, his analogy uh, talking about mental health and uh, comparing it to working out and when you feel hurt and when you feel pain and, and the different reactions. And the more we talk about stuff like that, the more valuable it is i i really believe that so uh, i'm really interested to hear what other people are thinking of this interview with tommy ford and other coaches and athletes so again i encourage you to share your thoughts of the day with us at the next turn podcast.com and uh that's it for now we'll see you here next week on the next turn be well